Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Dan Rogers at our Burragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's got to say to you. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to church. I know that for a lot of you, this has been a really impactful series. Uh, Friendship is a beautiful thing, and friendship with God is just a privilege. And so it is a significant series. The access that we have to God, the confidence that we can come before Him with, it's an incredible thing. It's so easy to take that for granted and to miss out on that. And so this morning we're going to unpack trust and how that affects our friendship with God. What it means to trust God and for Him to actually be our trust. It's not language that we use all that often, but you'll see why when we get into the passage. See, trust is a foundational element of friendship. You cannot have one without the other. You know what? Trust is a funny thing. I remember traveling around Israel with my class from Bible college, and we finally made it to the holy city. So we're walking around the streets of Jerusalem, and we see this guy shaving people on the side of the road. And so instantly we think, that's incredible. I want to get a shave in Jerusalem, in the holy city. Not many people can say that, and I want to be able to say, I got a shave in the holy city. Now, I've got to be real with you. I didn't need a shave. There's nothing there anyway. But everybody else was doing it, and I didn't want to be left out. So I went and got a shave on the side of the streets in Jerusalem. And so here we go. We we sit down. We sit in this chair on the side of the road. And this guy whips out this old-school throat-cutter blade. You know those things where they kind of open up, and he starts to get to work. And I was kind of like the third or fourth person, so I'm sitting there watching that. And then it comes to my time, and so I sit down, and he whips this thing out, and he gets to work. But i got to be honest with you. That freaked me out because you're just so vulnerable. I've never seen one of those things before. That's before my time. Right, we've got electric ones. They spin around. They do an amazing job. All right? I've never seen that, never been shaved with one of these things. And it just kind of freaked me out because you're so vulnerable. There's nothing that you can do. This guy is cutting the hair on your face and on your neck with this incredibly sharp blade, and all you can do is trust. Trust that he knows what he's doing. Trust that he doesn't have some kind of secret vendetta against you, which is kind of narcissistic, let's be honest, considering you're in another country. But you've got to trust. There's nothing else that you can do. You sit there, and you're completely powerless. And the truth is, we don't like that feeling of vulnerability. See, I was forced to trust this complete stranger, and I found it really difficult. It shocked me how much I actually found it nerve-wracking. We don't like that feeling of vulnerability. We like to be in control. Our natural tendency is to trust in ourselves. Because surely it's it's safe with, with us, right? But you know, all of that can be a hindrance to our friendship with God. It can cause huge issues. We all have to trust in something. It's just the reality of life. The question is what? What do we trust in? That's what we're looking at this morning. But before we go any further, let's read our passage together. I think Richard is here this morning. Fantastic. Go for it. Reading from Jeremiah chapter 17, the first 14 verses. 
Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point on the tablets of their hearts and on the horns of their altars. Even their children remember their altars and Asherah poles beside the spreading trees and on the high hills. My mountain in the land and your wealth and all your treasures I will give away as plunder, together with your high places, because of sin throughout your country. Through your own fault you will lose the inheritance I gave you. I will enslave you to your enemies in the land you do not know. For you have kindled my anger, and I will burn forever. This is what the Lord says. Curse is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs that did not lay are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them, and in the end they will prove to be fools. A glorious throne exalted from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, Lord, and I will be healed. Save me, and I will be saved. For you are the one I praise. Thank you. So we pick up our passage this morning, and you would have noticed straight away that Jeremiah paints this incredibly bleak picture. People of God had lost their way. They were supposed to be holy or were set apart for the purposes of God, and yet we get to Jeremiah chapter 17, and they've abandoned him. The NIV says that Judah's sin is engraved with an iron tool, inscribed with a flint point. But that word literally means diamond. So it's an iron tool with a diamond tip. And the sense that it gives us is that Judah's sin is indelible. It's permanent. This isn't a slip up. I mean, we're all broken, so it's a reality for all of us. We stumble all the time. But that's not what this is. They were entrenched in sin. It was who they are. And so Jeremiah gives us all of these parallels. You would have picked them up as we're reading through. In chapter 31, God says, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And yet here Jeremiah says, it's not the law that's engraved on the tablet of their hearts. It's sin. 
In Deuteronomy chapter 6, God commands his people to disciple their children. That's what he says, bring them up in the faith. So Moses says, these commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols or on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Fill your life with reminders of God's goodness. Create opportunities to share with your children the incredible things that God has done. That was the call in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And yet here Jeremiah says, even your children remember the Asherah poles and the altars that you set up to foreign gods. You didn't raise them in the Lord. You raised them in idolatry, in some kind of syncretism pagan syncretism and you've got to understand some of this stuff was horrific one of the gods that that the people of God turned to again and again was Baal and if you know anything about Baal you know that child sacrifice was a key part of their ritual worship can you imagine it God's chosen people sacrificing their own children in the worship of a false god why how do you get to that place? It just doesn't make any sense. Idolatry had swept through the nation of Israel. It permeated every facet of their society. So much so that when Josiah finally leads the people back to God sometime later, one of the things that he actually had to do was remove the vessels and the altars dedicated to Baal and Asherah and all the other gods from the temple precinct. And get that picture in your head. They've got altars set up to foreign gods in the temple precinct. That's how lost they were. And so God says, enough. My mountain and your land and your wealth and all your treasures, I will give away as plunder together with your high places because of sin throughout your country. See, this is something that people don't seem to understand. You cannot have the kingdom without the king. People of God lived in blessing and abundance, much like we do, actually, because they served the king. They were his people. But there's something about human beings that doesn't do well in abundance because the second we get there, we forget the very person who brought us here in the first place. And just as an aside... That's exactly where we are in Australia today. We live in the fruit, in the blessing, and the abundance of the gospel, but we want nothing to do with the very person the gospel points us to. We just want his stuff. And it doesn't work like that. Never lasts. You cannot have the kingdom without the king. So God says, through your own fault, you will lose the inheritance that I gave you. You think it's yours, but it's not. It's mine. It's my mountain. It's a reference to Zion or Jerusalem. My mountain, my wealth, my treasure, my blessing, my abundance, and I'm taking it back. See, that's the thing about an inheritance. It's not something that you work for. You don't earn an inheritance. It's a gift. 
You receive an inheritance because that's what it means to be a part of a family. To hear God is saying you're no longer a part of the household, the family of God. And don't get me wrong, I don't think that God was celebrating any of that. Like it broke his heart. And God so longs to bless us and to lead us into life. And yet his own people want nothing to do with him. Not really. They would have said they did, but not really. And God cannot, will not bless sin. Because that's not what's best for us. It's an incredibly sad reality. Think about how far they've fallen. Now Abraham was called a friend of God. Exodus chapter 33 says that Moses spoke to God face to face as one speaks to a friend. You've gone from incredible intimacy and friendship with God to enmity and wrath. Jeremiah says that it all comes back to trust. Let's pick it up in verse 5. This is what he says about trust. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be a bush. That word has a sense of being naked, destitute, stripped, bare. That person is a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will not dwell in the parched places of the desert. They will, will dwell in the parched places in the desert. In a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water, sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes. Its leaves are always green, has no worry in a year of drought, and never fails to bear fruit. How do you get to that place? How do you go from friendship and intimacy to enmity and wrath. You place your trust in the wrong thing. See, trust is huge. Determines so much of what we believe and ultimately how we live our lives. If we want to understand what's going on in this passage, I think we've got to understand what trust really is. See, that word means to hasten for refuge. So if I know that I'm safe with you, I trust you. But it's actually more than that. It's about confidence and hope and security and assurance. Now let's be honest, all of those things are good. And we need all of that. And yet God says, cursed is the one who seeks those things in man. Cursed is the one who seeks those things in man. I know we don't really use that kind of language, but curse just means that something has been devoted to destruction or doom. So if something is bound to fail, I mean, it's so clear that it's not going to end well, we would say it's doomed. Jeremiah says, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, whose heart turns away from the Lord, that person is doomed. They're like a bush in the wasteland, naked, stripped, and destitute. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. 
doesn't take a genius to figure out what he's saying. That's a picture of death. I want to hone in on that second line. Jeremiah says something really interesting. He says, they will not see prosperity when it comes. I think that's really significant. See, even in the desert, it rains every once in a while. But that rain cannot turn a desert shrub into a tree planted by the water. It just doesn't work like that. It might green up a little, but at the end of the day, it's still a shrub in the desert. Prosperity comes and goes, but the shrub is still a shrub. And at the end of the day, it's still in the desert. Jeremiah is saying, if you place your trust in man and in the things of this world, you are that shrub. So even if you're one of the lucky ones that actually makes it and experiences the prosperity that our world promises, it will not give you the fullness of life you so desperately want it to. In fact, it'll break you. It'll break your heart. Because you'll wake up the next day and that thirst, that longing will still be there. And then what? What do you do when you finally make it and you look around and you're still a shrub in the desert? Still naked, destitute, and longing for more. What do you do? What hope do you have? See, I'm convinced this is why Hollywood is such a mess. Well, let's just imagine for a second that what our culture says is right and that a fullness of life is found in the things of this world, in money and in power and achievement and fame and all that kind of stuff. Let's just assume that it's actually true. And surely Hollywood would be the happiest place on the face of the planet. Surely they'd have joy and peace and hope and life because they have everything that our world has to offer, that is. And yet you look at Hollywood and it's a mess. Suicide is a huge issue. Happens way too often. Divorce rates are higher Drug and alcohol abuse is higher. Every metric you could possibly use to measure brokenness is off the Richter. We should scream at us, something's not right. It just doesn't add up. And Jeremiah is saying you might experience prosperity even in the desert. It rains every once in a while. But it will not give you the fullness of life you so desperately need. Because that's found in God alone eternal beings will never be satisfied in temporary things cannot be it doesn't work like that you are an eternal being and the only thing that satisfies is the things of eternity only God can do that that's why Jeremiah says blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord His confidence is in him. At least that's what the NIV says. But this is what the Hebrew says. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. And this is where it gets a little tricky. Because Jeremiah is saying it's possible to trust in the Lord, but for the Lord not to actually be your trust. 
In other words, you're trusting in God, but for something else. And that something else is where you're actually looking for assurance and security. That's your hope. That's where you think life is found. Trusting in God, but for something else. And I actually think this is incredibly easy for us to fall into. So I'll give you an example. It's just an example. Lots of things. You might be a single person here this morning. Trusting in God for that special someone. Fantastic. If you think that person is going to complete you. If that's where you're searching for security and assurance and hope and life, you're in trouble because God's not your trust. That future someone is your trust. And there's not a person on the face of this planet that can do that for you. That can give you that. Only God can give you that. One who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. That person is like a tree planted by the water, sends out its roots by the stream. That person has no reason to fear when heat comes. Their leaves are always green. They don't worry in a year of drought and they never fail to bear fruit. They've been given a fullness of life and joy, a peace and hope that cannot be taken from them. Because it's in God. And so they're untouchable. In a real sense, they're untouchable. You know, I remember a lady, she was a teacher at Lake Jundalup when I worked at the church there. And she was this beautiful lady, very friendly and, and bubbly. Loud would have been an appropriate description for her. I would know, okay? I'm married to a loud person, all right? So I know these things. And she'd been through a fair bit in her life. She divorced, her ex-husband uh, really, really struggled with mental health issues and tried to take his own life on a number of occasions. And it was rough, but a huge amount of stress on their family and eventually that relationship broke down. After a number of years, she got remarried and it was this beautiful time in her life. But about a year later, she found out that her sister had cancer. And then a couple months after that, she found out that she had cancer. And then not long after that, her ex-husband took his own life. It was really tough for the kids. My mum's got cancer and my dad just took his own life. There's a lot going on in that family, in her life. The heat had well and truly come. It was a year of drought. You know what? You couldn't touch this lady's joy. I started a prayer meeting on a Monday at lunchtime because her cancer was terminal. And there was nothing else that we could do. We just get together and we pray and pray and pray every week. And every week she'd come and every week she'd look just a little weaker, a little more worn down, battered by the cancer and by the chemo. And yet in the midst of all of that, she had this incredible peace. She had joy and life. And it struck me because everything in her situation told me that she should have been miserable. It wasn't fair. She should have been miserable. There was one thing the cancer couldn't take from her and that was Jesus. Can't touch it. Was there grief? Of course there was. She's human. Going through incredible loss. Of course there was grief. But Jesus was her hope. 
Jesus was her joy. Jesus was her security, her confidence. And so she was untouchable. This isn't just a theory, church. I've seen this. This isn't some pithy statement that has no power, that isn't real. I've seen this. And it's an incredible witness because the world doesn't have that. It doesn't have anything like that. How do you go through the heat and fear nothing? How do you experience disappointment and hardship and still have that life? Leaves that are always green. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust and security and assurance and hope and life is the Lord. Because he is faithful. He is good. His promises are secure. And the inheritance that he's given us is sealed in us for all eternity by the Holy Spirit. And not even death can touch that. Not even death. And Jeremiah would say that it all comes back to trust and where you place it. I can just imagine Jeremiah, as he's, he's got this word from the Lord standing before this idolatrous people. I can just imagine him saying, you hard-hearted people. You thought you were missing out, but little did you know you were a tree planted by the water, by the streams of everlasting life. You gave that up because you took your trust from God and you put it in the things of this world. That's what you're pursuing. That's what you're trusting in. That's where you think life is found. And so you're doomed. You are a doomed people. And I finish it off in verse 9. I think it's really important because the question that instantly comes to mind, for me at least, is if this is true... And it really is that simple. Then why do we naturally lean towards trusting in ourselves and in the things of this world? Why is that so easy for us? And yet trusting in God is actually so difficult. Why is that? This is what Jeremiah says in verse 9. The heart is deceitful. Above all things and beyond cure, who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. Like a partridge that hatches eggs it did not lay, and those who gain riches are those who gain riches by unjust means. When their lives are half gone, their riches will desert them, and in the end they will prove to be fools. A glorious throne, exalted from the beginning, is the place of our sanctuary. Lord, you are our hope. All who forsake, in you, forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in the dust because they've forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Heal me, O Lord. That's Jeremiah's cry. Heal me, O Lord, and I will be healed. Save me and I will be saved for you are the one I praise. Jeremiah says the heart of the problem is actually the human heart. That's what lies behind all of this. It's not something outside of us or something around us. No, we have to look inward because this is about the brokenness within us. You've got to understand, this is a massive theme in the Old Testament. People of God desperately needed heart surgery. 
Jeremiah calls them senseless, which means without heart. Later on, he says they have stubborn and rebellious hearts. Ezekiel says they have a heart of stone. And what they really need is for God to give them a new heart, a heart of flesh. And that's just not something that they could do on their own. They needed God to intervene. They needed a mediator. And so Ezekiel and Jeremiah join in Moses' cry that God would circumcise the hearts of his people. Because only then would they be able to love him with all of their heart and with all of their soul, with all of their strength and live. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We don't even understand our own hearts. That brokenness is what lies behind all of this. That's why the people of God abandoned him again and again. And that's why we find it so tempting, so easy to trust in ourselves and the things of this world. And so difficult to keep our trust in him. Don't even understand our own hearts. It's how broken they are. And God speaks to that and says, I do. I understand it. I don't just see what you do. I see why you do it. I see the desires of your heart, the deep longings that are in you. And I'm telling you, you're not going to find it out there. That's why Jesus says, I counsel you to buy from me. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. And white clothes to wear, righteousness, his righteousness, so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you might see. I have what you're looking for. I am what your heart desperately desires. The deep longings within you are in found and satisfied in me. So Jeremiah says, repent. Turn around. Stop pursuing the things of this world. Turn around and run into the loving arms of our Father. The throne of God is our sanctuary. The King is our hope. He alone gives life and he alone can heal our broken hearts. And the answer is to run to God, to pursue God, to place your trust in God, to grab hold of him. Because if we'd only trust in him and make him our trust, we would know that life. And we would be trees planted by the water. And I know that's many of you here this morning. So here's how I want to finish. You've got to understand what it means to be planted, Church. I'm not sure if you notice, but the difference between the shrub and the tree is that the tree is planted. Jeremiah doesn't say that about the shrub because that's where it naturally grows. It doesn't need to be planted. It's where it naturally grows. Our natural tendency is to reject God and instead trust in ourselves and in the things of this world. The truth is that we have to be uprooted from the desert so that we might be planted by the water. And that's only possible because 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the only tree to live eternally by the water, allowed himself to be uprooted so that he might join us in the desert. 
He took on death that we might have life. He paid the price for our sin and he paid it in full. So that all that we have to do is trust in him and in his sacrifice. I see that trust like the roots of a tree. So my question for you this morning is what are your roots reaching for? What are they growing down into? Are they reaching for the water? Is that where your trust is? Or are your roots actually reaching back to the desert? Because that doesn't make sense. There's no life there. Why, why are you reaching that way? You're planted by the water. And I know that some of you here this morning, your roots are actually reaching for something else. And the water is right there. Trust got us here in the first place. So where is your trust now? Where are you looking for hope and security and assurance? Where are you looking for life? Because that's where your roots will grow. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, whose confidence and assurance and security and hope is the Lord, that person has a life and a joy and a peace that cannot be taken from them. That person is a friend of God. And so they are blessed. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your goodness. In one sense, God, all of this is meaningless if it wasn't true that you are in fact good. That you are faithful. That you are for us. That you have good, good plans for our life. That you love us more than we really understand. That you are always working for our best. And your greatest desire is to bless us and to lead us into life. That's who you are. That's somebody we can trust. And so I praise you for that. That you are in fact trustworthy. And I pray, Jesus, for each and every person here this morning. I pray, Father, for those who are in fact not planted by the water, who are a shrub in the desert. And maybe this morning was the first time that they really saw that and understood that. I pray, Jesus. I pray, Jesus, that they would hear your voice calling them home. I pray, Jesus, that you would give them the faith and the courage to put their trust in you. That they would allow you to give them life and joy and peace that lasts for eternity. And I pray, Father, for those of us who are planted by the water, I pray, Jesus, that our roots would go deep down into you, into the water. Father, hedge us about, protect us from ourselves. Don't allow us to be distracted that allow us to believe the lies that our world tells us that life is found out there. It's not. It's so easy for us to take our trust from you and to put it somewhere else and for our roots to be reaching in the completely wrong direction. So I pray, Jesus, 
that you would open our eyes and that we would know you for who you are. That we would see you in all of your glory and know that you are good and you are trustworthy. And so our roots would grow down deep into you. That you would in fact be our hope, our security, our assurance, our life. I pray that for each and every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. If you'd like to talk to someone about what you've heard today, then you can contact the team at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church by calling the office during office hours on 9329-1777. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to your company again soon. God bless.